Father in heaven, our cup runneth over. The blessings have been abundant throughout this week, and for that we are very thankful. But Father, we are tarrying a little longer because we know you have other blessings for us to equip us to be more like Jesus. Father, this morning as we open up our Bibles in family worship, we again invite the sweet presence of your Holy Spirit to take the words of life, to apply them in our hearts right where they need to be. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Please, keep us faithful, we ask. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. In the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, we find there the greatest sermon that has ever been preached by the greatest of all preachers I refer to as the Prince of Preachers, Jesus Christ Himself. And as He stood on that grassy hillside, surrounded by the throng of people eager to hear the words from this new young upstart, this new religious leader who was gaining in popularity, Jesus begins His Sermon on the Mount with a list of blessings. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessing after blessing after blessing. Aren't you thankful for blessings? I love that song. There shall be showers of blessing. We should have sang that one. Maybe we'll sing that one tomorrow. We love to talk about the blessings of God. We revel in them. We want to share them with other people, how God blesses His people. And He does. He blesses us more than we deserve. But it's the next two verses that grab my attention. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Blessed are ye, blessed are they which are persecuted. Now, I have to be honest with you this morning. I've never gone to a church service and heard somebody say during the praise time, I'm thankful this past week that I was persecuted. Right, we, don't, we don't hear that kind of thanksgiving on Sabbath morning. Usually, it goes something like this. I'm suffering some sort of discouragement or difficulty or persecution. Please pray that God will take it away. But could that means of discouragement, trial, or persecution be the very thing that God wants to use to bless you? And yet we pray that God might remove it. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that there are times when God removes times of difficulty. But we need to leave that up to God to decide whether or not it is in our best interest or not. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Desire of Ages, page 306, writes some very interesting words here. It says, it is fellowship with God that brings them, God's people, the world's enmity. How many of you are thankful for fellowship with God? Is that a blessing, amen? That human beings, fallen sinful human beings can have fellowship with God. But we're told that those who have this fellowship bring upon them the world's enmity. 
world is not our home, and those within it. It goes on. They are bearing the reproach of Christ. They are treading the path that has been trodden by the noblest of earth, not with sorrow, but with what? Rejoicing should they meet persecution. Each fiery trial, listen to this, each fiery trial is God's agent for their refining. Each is fitting them for their work as co-laborers with Him. Each conflict has its place in the great battle for righteousness, and each will add to the joy of their final triumph. Brothers and sisters, when the fiery trials come your way, recognize that this is God's way of refining you, that one day you will have triumph in your relationship and in your walk with the Lord. God uses these things to fit us to be co-laborers together with Him. We need to be careful when we ask God to remove fiery trials in our lives. We just found in our study so far, specifically in our study together yesterday, how Jesus went through this time of intensified battle in the last 48 hours of His life. His entire three and a half years, indeed His entire life here on this earth, was one battle after another. It had only intensified as things went along. And I can assure you that the battle that He won in the wilderness fitted Him to win the battle in the Garden of Gethsemane. Each fiery trial is God's appointed agency to refine you. Go with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, just a couple of chapters over. Some very interesting words here in light of what we've just read about those who are blessed when they are persecuted. Jesus sending out His... Twelve disciples to preach to all the world here in Matthew chapter 10. It's his ordination speech, if you will. He says this, verse 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. How does Jesus send us out? As what? Sheep in the midst of? What an encouraging speech to give at an ordination, isn't it? Thank you for becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Now I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. But in that one little phrase that we oftentimes hastily read and continue moving on because it makes us uncomfortable. In that little tiny phrase, we find Jesus defining the identity of his followers. They are sheep. And he's also defining the identity of those, listen to me carefully, that Jesus is sending them to. They are wolves. And I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time describing what happens when sheep are in the midst of wolves. Right? It's not a pretty sight. However, I find it interesting that Isaiah describes a very similar situation in the life of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7. He says that he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. You see, Jesus is not calling you and me to do anything that he himself has not already done. He is not calling us to do anything that he himself has not already set an example of how we can do it. But he is telling us, I am sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. And Jesus himself was a sheep among wolves. Maybe you've heard this statement before, that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Now, I want to challenge that statement this morning in a reverent way, 
Because physically speaking, the safest place is not always in the center of God's will. Spiritually, the safest place is to be in the center of God's will. And unfortunately, I think that this phrase that was born out of persecution, the one who actually penned those words was Corey Ten Boom, a woman who was acquainted with much persecution in her life, harboring 800 Jews, her and her family, watching her father and her sister die in a concentration camp, and her herself suffering tremendous physical suffering. She was the one who said the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. That statement was born out of persecution, but I think, unfortunately, Christianity today has hijacked this statement and turned it into some sort of cliche that means that we all of a sudden become bulletproof. What if the safest place to be is for you to be a sheep in the midst of wolves? Are you still willing to be in the center of God's will? Somehow we have come to the point where we think if it's dangerous or if it's risky If it's unsafe, if it's costly, it must not be God's will. And I want to tell you something this morning, brothers and sisters. I'm thankful to the bottom of my heart that Jesus did not think that way. Because if that's the way Jesus had thought, he would have never come to this world of sin and suffering. To embark upon the greatest of all mission trips to save lost humanity. We need to change the way that we think and ask God to help us to find the blessings even in suffering. Jesus sent his disciples not as sheep amongst sheep. That's where we are right now. It's a comfortable place, isn't it? We can all bat together. We can all eat our same grass, veggie links, and all that fun stuff. We can all talk the same way and dress the same way and Say amen the same way. It's a very comfortable place to be sheep among sheep. But this is not the way that God has called us to live our lives. And that's why we should not live in places where there are dense populations of Seventh-day Adventists. God never intended his people to live like that. Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth. Jesus said, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. It's unfortunate We come to the point where we seek safety over being in the center of God's will. Those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes will find find themselves as sheep amongst wolves. I read a story not too long ago about a missionary family who went to work among the Patak tribe in northern Sumatra in Indonesia. They were the first missionaries to this tribe of people who are 100% Muslim. Talk about being sheep in the midst of wolves. And they brought with them the wonderful message of the everlasting gospel, Jesus' death, resurrection, and soon coming. And they, as faithful missionaries, shared the message of eternal life. And this group of people, the Patak tribe, took these missionaries and murdered them, and ate them. Several years later, there was another missionary family who felt the call to the Patak tribe. They knew what had happened, but they also knew that they were called to be sheep in the midst of wolves. And so they answered the call, and they went to the Patak tribe, and they shared the same message that the previous missionaries had shared, And that group of 100% Muslims recognized the message as the same that the first missionaries brought, but this time they decided to listen. And in the end, those faithful missionaries who put their life on the line, God used them to convert the tribe of 100% Muslims to Christianity. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of of wolves. We looked at that narrative played out in the life of Jesus yesterday. He was indeed a sheep in the midst of wolves in those last 48 hours of his life. Praise the Lord that he was willing to do it. 
Turn with me in your Bibles to our scripture reading this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul writing to the young man, Timothy, giving him words of encouragement of what it means to be a godly minister and young man. He pens these words, yea, and all that will live, how? Godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. What will they suffer? Now, it should all be our noble goal that by God's grace we can live godly lives. Would you say amen to that? Lord Jesus, help me to live a godly life. But as we do that, we have to count the cost. Living a godly life in this world has a high price tag on it. The English Standard Version translates this passage even more pointedly. Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's no ambiguity here. There's no maybe, if, and, or but. If you live a godly life, you are inviting persecution in your life. We just have to get comfortable with that thought. And if we don't get comfortable with that thought, brothers and sisters, we're going to continually hold out living a godly life at arm's length. And as long as it benefits us, we will embrace it. But as soon as it brings trials and suffering and persecution and sacrifice into our life, we will extend it out and say that's okay. I found it interesting. I was reading a book called The Insanity of God written by Nick Ripkin. It's a good book. And in the book, he goes to the persecuted parts of the world, Eastern Europe and Russia and and, and different parts of Asia, and he interviews Christians in persecuted countries, and he documents his experience with them. It's a fascinating book. But what I found interesting time and time again as he interviewed one group of Christians after another is that those in persecuted countries did not pray that persecution would be removed. That's not what they asked for. As Nick would come back to the United States, they had prayer requests, but one of those prayer requests was not that persecution would go away. But what they would ask Nick to pray for is that God would keep them faithful in the midst of their persecution. You see, they had a deeper understanding of the Word of God that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It is not a scriptural prayer request to ask God to remove persecution. But we can pray and say, God, keep me faithful in the midst of that persecution. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, God is more eager to keep you faithful in that time of suffering than you are to receive that faithfulness. He wants to help you and sustain you as you choose to live a godly life. Living a godly life is at odds with the world. The world is going this direction. God is wanting us to go in the opposite direction, and there's friction that happens as a result of that. Listen to this well-quoted statement from the book, Great Controversy, page 48. You've probably read it before, but it says this, the apostle Paul declares that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall be persecuted or shall suffer persecution. Why is it then that, the persec- that persecution seems in a great degree to slumber? The only reason is that the church has conformed to the world's standards and therefore awakens no opposition. She goes on and she says, Let there be a revival of faith and power of the early church and the spirit of persecution will be revived and the fires of persecution rekindled. Now listen to me carefully, brothers and sisters. I'm not asking you to go out there and awaken persecution on your own. The Bible states it clearly. All who live godly will suffer persecution. I'm not asking you to stir the pot and make life difficult. I'm not asking you to have unnecessary friction in your life. That's not the type of persecution that the Bible's talking about. What the Bible is talking about here is when God gives you the character of Jesus, that will awaken persecution. When we experience the apostolic revival that happened in the book of Acts, 
that will revive and rekindle the fires of persecution. But right now, those flames are dormant. Why? Because the church has fallen into conformity with the world's standard and awakens no opposition. Now listen, we could stand up here for the next half an hour that we have here and blast the church for all the different ways that we might think that it has compromised. But brothers and sisters, that's been going on for a long time and it hasn't done us any good. It's easy for you to jump on your computer and write a blog post blasting something that's happened out west or in the south or in the east or in some other far-flung part of the world. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't take a look at challenges in our world church and try to fix them. But brothers and sisters, we've got to understand that the battle is within. And as we each individually take it and say, God, change my life and give me that godly life, then our church will begin to change. And conformity to the world would be a thing of the past, and conformity to the perfect and loving will of Jesus will be our all-consuming desire. This principle is clearly illustrated in the life of the disciples. During the time of Jesus' three and a half years of earthly ministry, they largely did not waken any persecution in their lives. Sure, they were hanging out with a guy who in some respects was a popular person, Jesus, and in some groups a not very popular person, but largely they did not suffer persecution because of that. Why? Because they were arguing about who would be the greatest. But notice what happens the moment Peter experiences conversion. The moment Peter is converted and God is able to fill him with the Holy Spirit so that he can preach powerfully on the day of Pentecost that brings 3,000 people to the foot of the cross. As soon as that happens, what takes place? Persecution arises. As soon as the disciples of Christ experience genuine conversion in their life, the flames of persecution begin to roar. Clearly illustrated in the life of the disciples. But notice what happened as a result of this persecution. You can go there if you want to. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. After the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, the Bible says this, Acts 8, 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death, Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Paul tells, or Luke tells us that there was a great persecution that was kindled against the church. And as a result of that, they were scattered. Could God possibly bring persecution into the Seventh-day Adventist church to scatter us? But notice what it says in verse 4. I find, every time I read this, it just, it's just amazing to me. The Bible says, therefore they that were scattered. Who were the ones that were scattered? The ones who were what? Persecuted. Notice it says, therefore they which were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They did not allow the persecution to get them down. They did not allow the persecution to keep them from doing what Jesus had called them to do, to go ye, th go ye therefore into all the world and preach the everlasting gospel. They didn't let it keep them down, but they went everywhere God had taken them, and they preached the word. Persecution did not stop them. It's interesting to me. Satan brings about persecution but oftentimes when he does, it accomplishes the very purpose that he's trying to stop. I heard one amen. That's a good thing, isn't it? He persecuted Jesus in trying to get him to fail in his attempt to save humanity. He persecuted the medieval church during the time of the Reformation. And the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. And I believe that that will happen once again. By God's grace, when that kindle of persecution is reignited, that God will find us faithful. 
I want to walk through this passage a little bit more here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Let's break this thing down a little bit for us this morning. Behold, Jesus says, I send you forth as sheep. The first thing we find is that Jesus sends us out. Amen? He doesn't keep us in. We are in a safe place here, but God is wanting to send us out. We'll talk a little bit more about this tomorrow in our final message before we conclude our time together in the early morning worship. But it's clear from the Bible that the disciples had other occupations. They were fishermen, tax collectors, and lawyers. But the greatest of all calling that they had in their life was to be sent by Jesus as sheep in the midst of wolves. We have to get to the point where we think and understand that being sent out as a sheep in the midst of wolves is a high calling. Amen? It's the greatest of all callings that we can have as sons and daughters of God, to be sent out as sheep amongst wolves. What a greater privilege can fallen humanity have than to be a sheep for Jesus in the midst of wolves. We'll talk more about that tomorrow, so I'll push the pause button on that. But again, Jesus says that he sends us out, not as sheep among sheep, but sheep among wolves. He's sending us into dangerous places. Listen to me carefully, friends. When Jesus sends us out, He is not sending us out among those who sympathize with our efforts. We can't expect to get a slap on the back and be received by open arms everywhere we go. We're sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, sometimes God brings along that encouragement, and I'm thankful for it when it comes, to just buoy our spirits up, but we can't expect it. If Jesus expected that in the Garden of Gethsemane, if Jesus had depended upon that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he would have failed in redeeming fallen humanity. But Jesus was able to depend upon his heavenly Father, and his relationship with him was independent of any human earthly support and encouragement. Notice what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 10. He doesn't just stop there. Notice what he says in verse 17. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. Verse 21. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Verse 22. And you shall be hated of all men for my sake. Verse 23. But when, notice it doesn't say but if, but when they persecute you in this city, flee unto another. Verse 36, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. I know, brothers and sisters, we don't like talking about this stuff. It makes us uncomfortable to think about it. But Jesus has given it to us as a warning so that we can prepare ourselves. And if we're like the proverbial ostrich that sticks his head in the sand, when that time of war intensifies and a man's foes are of, their, of his own household, we will crumble like the disciples did in that great battle. We, like Jesus, need to take the words of Scripture. We need to take the words of prophecy that Jesus is speaking to us here and heed them and say, okay, God, I see that there's going to be this intense battle that's going to come in the last days and that those who I consider to be close to me will eventually maybe become my enemies. God, keep me faithful when that time comes. We need to be praying that prayer right now. That God can sustain us independent of any earthly support. As much as I would like to say that things have changed, in the last 2,000 years, it has not. Jesus says in John 15 and verse 20, remember the world, sorry, remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. To everyone waiting or wanting a place of safety, to those who are looking for safe places, safe from any trial, difficulty, persecution, If that's what you're looking for, brothers and sisters, the Word of God is telling us the message is clear. Stay as far away from Jesus as possible. 
If comfort is what you are looking for in this world, stay away from Jesus. But if a kingdom of heaven is what you are looking for, get as close to him as you possibly can. The world has painted this picture that we can have our cake and eat it too. But friendship with the world is enmity against God. And if you choose to say, Lord, I'm going to live a godly life in a wicked world, get ready. Because Satan is your worst foe. And he's going to unleash all of his demonic power upon you, and he's going to do whatever it takes to try to get you to buckle. But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. With God, all things are possible. And it's little promises like that that will help us when that time of intense persecution comes our way. Lord, keep me faithful. But notice what Jesus also says. He says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and Hmm. Harmless as. Let me ask you a question. When you're being physically mistreated, how do you feel like you want to respond? You want to be a dove with fangs, don't you? You're praying and saying, Lord, please turn these wings into hands that can hold a knife. When we are being, when we are being physically mistreated... And I dare say that none of us have gone through that for the truth's sake. Maybe you have. I don't know. But when that time comes, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, Jesus says when that time comes, be as harmless as a dove. Wow. Did Jesus illustrate that for us in the last 48 hours of his life? That's why Peter tells us that he is our example in suffering. He did not retaliate when he was mistreated. He did not defend himself when he was mistreated. When Peter tried to lop off the servant of the high priest's head, he said, put your sword away. Jesus says, be harmless as doves. Spurgeon says an interesting thing. He says, fighting sheep are a strange animal. And a fighting Christian is a self-evident contradiction. Think about that next time you get into an argument in your church board meeting. <clears throat> Appreciate the couple of amens there. Think about that next time you get into a heated discussion in your next church business meeting. A self-evident contradiction, friends. Jesus says that when you are as a sheep amongst wolves, and I hate to have to say this, friends, but there are wolves in our church. And I just pray that I'm not one of them. Jesus says when you are a sheep amongst wolves, be as harmless as a dove. Friends, if you think you have patience now, get in among the wolves and see how much you have left. At that time, friends, it will only be the divine strength of God that will sustain you at that point. It will only be God <clears throat> who can give you the love at that point when you are persecuted that bears all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This is not of human origin, friends. This is of divine birth. And it only happens as you enter into that time with God, morning by morning. Paul gives us some good advice on how to deal with wolves. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 21, just jot it down. He says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with does that not match what Jesus said? To be as harmless as a dove? Don't be overcome by evil. In other words, 
Don't be like the wolves, but overcome evil with good. Listen to this statement. When I found this, it just blew my mind. Review and Herald, April 26, 1892. If you take pictures with your phone, you might want to snap a shot of this one. It says, Jesus says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. But you need not meet the wolves in the same spirit that they themselves possess. You are to be as harmless as doves. In meeting those, listen to this. In meeting those who are fierce of spirit, you must manifest meekness and love. And the manifestation, this is so amazing, and the manifestation of this spirit, what spirit? Meekness and love. The manifestation of this spirit will frequently change the spirit of the wolf and a wonderful transformation will take place. I said, thank you, Lord. Listen to me carefully. If you stick sheep in the midst of wolves, physically speaking, the sheep will not change the wolf into a sheep. But in a spiritual sense, you have the capacity as a sheep of God to transform wolves into sheep. That's powerful. But brothers and sisters, I don't want you to miss the point. She tells us the way it is done. It's by manifesting a spirit of meekness and love. Not of argumentation. Not of lording it over. Not of pulling people down. But she says it's done through the spirit of meekness and love. You look at Jesus in the garden. You look at Jesus at the trials. As he stood before Caiaphas, he was instantly convicted that Jesus was the Son of God. Why? Because he saw meekness and love. The rabble crowd as they stood there and looked at Jesus being mistreated, physically mistreated. They were convicted that he was the son of God. Why? Because they saw meekness and love. As Jesus hung on the cross, the Roman centurion was forced to admit that this man was of God origin. That he was the son of God. Why? Because he saw meekness and love when he heard those words, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. This is not of human origin. It is of divine birth. And we need to pray for it. We need to crave it. We need to study for it. We need to ask God to give us opportunities to exercise it. And instead of every little difficulty and little thing that makes us uncomfortable, we begin to complain. We need to say, Lord, give me an opportunity to exercise patience and love, meekness, and love, so that when the war intensifies, I will respond in the same manner. We need to stop complaining about other people and what they do to us and say, thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to refine my character. Hmm. 2016, there was an unnamed ISIS fighter who had always enjoyed killing Christians in particularly brutal ways. And this man started having dreams. Man in white came to him and said, why are you killing my people? You know, Jesus even likes and loves ISIS soldiers. Did you know that? He began to become uncomfortable with his work of death. And one day there was a Christian man that was kneeling in front of him who he was about to execute, and before he did, the Christian handed him his Bible. Sad to say, the ISIS soldier took the life of that man, but he also took his Bible, and he began to read it. And as he read it, the man in white appeared to him again and told him that that was his book. That ISIS soldier who killed I don't know how many Christian people began to search for a Christian missionary who could teach him from the Word of God and mentor him. I praise God that he found one. A missionary who was willing to go as a sheep 
in the midst of wolves. And he led that man to Christ. And by God's grace, we'll see him in the kingdom of heaven one day. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, turn there with me if you would. Jesus says, love your enemies. That's the word agape, by the way. Unconditional love. That does not need to be reciprocated in order for it to exist. Love your enemies. Number one, bless them that curse you. Number two, do good to them that hate you, number three, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Four things Jesus tells us to do for those who make our lives difficult and eventually for those who persecute us. Love them. Find ways to bless them. Do good to them and pray for them. Did we not see that illustrated in the life of Jesus in the last few hours of his life? It's the blueprint. It's the rule book on how we ought to live our lives. When the mark of the beast and the time of religious persecution is revived. Listen to me carefully, friends. In all honesty, is death the worst thing that can happen to you? Yet we go around thinking that it is the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing that can happen to you is that you would lose out on the kingdom of heaven. And in the process of gaining the kingdom of heaven by living a godly life, if that means that you only live for 25 years, so be it. It's worth it in the end to be in the kingdom of heaven and to take people with you to the kingdom of heaven. I believe that when we get to the point where we no longer fear death and suffering, that at that point we can live bold lives for God. But as long as we go cowering around trying to avoid any suffering or anything that's uncomfortable, the devil has us in a chokehold. And as long as we are like that, listen to me carefully, as long as we are like that, the unreached will stay unreached. Because by nature, the unreached of the world have always lived in places of the world where it's not the safest to be. Yet Jesus says, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. As long as we stay in our comfortable little cocoons at Michigan Conference camp meeting, at our local church, in our Adventist ghettos, we can talk about it time and time again. Oh, I hope that this is the last camp meeting before Jesus comes. And I hope it is too. But something has to drastically change in order for that to happen. We say it as though we're waiting for God to come back. I hope this is the last one, God. You can come back now. But God's saying, wait, 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 wait. There are wolves that need to be converted into sheep. And I need my sheep to go out and do that. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He came from heaven down to this earth to live as a sheep in the midst of wolves. And his life of meekness and love transformed wolves into sheep. God is calling us to do the same thing. I once heard a story about a man by the name of John Patton. He was a Scottish minister, a very successful Scottish minister. Back in the 1800s, had a large church. But he heard about an unreached people group in the New Hebrides, which is a group of islands out in the Pacific Ocean, that was filled with cannibals. And he felt that God was calling him to minister to the people on that specific island. Now, what had happened about 20 years before, there were some missionaries who went to that specific island in the New Hebrides, and within moments of them stepping ashore, they were killed, and shortly after that, cannibalized. And that's where John Patton felt that God was calling him to minister. And you can only expect that his church members would try to dissuade him. Don't do it. It's a dangerous place. His ministers or his church members would time and time again say, the cannibals, the cannibals, the cannibals will eat you. There was one dear old saint 
who repeated this statement many times, you will be eaten by cannibals. And to this, John Patton replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the day, in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Savior. He lived bold for God because he didn't fear death and suffering. He didn't go around cowering, trying to avoid any uncomfortableness. John Patton went to that island and he converted the whole island of cannibals to Christianity. Not only did he convert that island, but he, spread, he spent the rest of his life in the New Hebrides and there were thousands of cannibals that were converted to Christianity because he was willing to live a bold life for God. He was released from his bondage because Satan could not get him with the fear of suffering and death. What matter if we live for 25 years or 80 years, long as we are doing our master's will? I read a stirring story in closing about a young couple who went as missionaries with the China Inland Mission back in the early 1900s, John and Betty Stam. Well, they were in China. They got married. John had a burden for foreign missions. Betty was raised as a missionary kid. And they united their lives together as a missionary couple. Shortly after that, they had a little baby girl. Right around that time, they were assigned to their first mission post after extensive training in Chinese and the Chinese culture. Shortly after they arrived to their first post of duty, the communist soldiers invaded the city and John and Betty found themselves as prisoners. Through a series of Miraculous miracles, God protected their daughter, and I will leave you to find out all of those details. But well in captivity, John wrote back to the China Inland Mission these words, My wife, baby, and myself are today in the hands of the communists. Their demand is $20,000 for our release. The Lord bless and guide you. As for us, may God be glorified, whether by life or by death. As they were walking to the place of execution, somebody cried out to them, Where are you going? And John fired back, I don't know where they are going, pointing to the soldiers, but I know where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. John and Betty lost their life because they were willing to be sheep in the midst of wolves. There are John Pattons and there are John and Betty Stams. And it is not up, for, up to us to choose who we are. That's God's business. We just need to pray that God will keep us faithful no matter where he puts us. But we know from Scripture that we will have a similar experience to Jesus as this battle intensifies. May He equip us with meekness and love that through our witness, others will be converted to Jesus. I leave you with this last statement. The very soul of missions, or being a witness as our theme is, is sacrifice. What is the soul of being a witness? The very soul of missions, of witnessing, is sacrifice. Listen to this. And nothing less and nothing else than divine love can call forth the sacrifice that is needed.
It was the divine love of God that called forth the sacrifice of His Son for fallen race. And it's the divine love of God that will call us forth to make whatever sacrifice it may be to, by God's grace, bring others with us into the kingdom of heaven. How many of you this morning want to say, Father, whatever may come my way, I leave it in your hands, but Lord, keep me faithful when that time of trial and persecution comes. How many of you want to say that this morning? May God bless you. Let's have a word of prayer. Oh, Father, we are so weak. We are so prone to seeking our own comfort instead of our Father's will. And Lord, I pray that we will follow Jesus' example of not my will, but thine be done. And Lord, as you send us out as sheep in the midst of wolves, may we have eyes that are fixed upon you, that are fixed upon the goal, the prize, that there is a heaven to win and a hell to shun. And Lord, I don't know what waits us as we leave Michigan Conference camp meeting. I don't know what call you're going to put on our lives individually. But Father, whatever that call is, I pray that you would help, help us to faithfully execute it and to be faithful no matter what may come our way. Keep us, Lord, rooted and grounded in meekness and love. May you use us, Lord, by your grace and through a Christ-like character to transform wolves into sheep. Thank you, Father. May you bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.